Um, we're very, very good at the, the, the work in the community. But that has to be in, in a different context to other people just doing work in the community because we do it as followers of Christ and we do it in, equipped with his Holy Spirit. Now, as soon as you start to talk about the Holy Spirit, people often go straight off, and uh, we saw this in a Q&A a few weeks ago with Steve, thinking about the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 15. Let me show you a little clip from, from a film. This is a film, I don't know, my, my, anyone who knows our family knows my wife, Jennifer, is the queen of the charity shops. Almost everything we wear, all our household goods, tend to come from charity shops. And sometimes she'll have a look for a DVD for us to watch on a Saturday night, also from a charity shop. She came home one week with this DVD about five scallywags who go off to try and find Maradona, the famous footballer, in Argentina, and the only way of travelling is by busking all the way, showing off their street football skills. So let's see the boys in action in New York. something about those, those five lads have in common. They all got tremendous football skills, but none of them is earning money as a professional footballer. Because playing football is not keepy-uppy. It's not balancing the ball on your head. There's a lot more to it than that. And it's a bit like that with the spiritual gifts. The work of the Holy Spirit in the Christian is not the spiritual gifts. It's his work in our lives in the everyday. But the thing about football is without skill, it's a terribly turgid game. In fact, it's impossible to play. If you can't control the ball, you can't play football. And so it is with the Holy Spirit. Those gifts that God gives, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, enables us to live that everyday life. And we've talked in the last few weeks about prayer and confession and singing, the kind of stuff we do when we come together, or perhaps we do in the quiet of our own home. But now we're really starting to look out into our everyday lives. How is the Holy Spirit at work and how does it affect the way we live? And I want to talk about something called simplicity. And somewhat quite ironically, it's not simple to define. And so I'd just like to take a few moments addressing it from a number of different angles so we all have a common view of what we mean when we say Christian simplicity. So I'll start with before even Jesus comes on the scene. This is John the Baptist, the greatest warm-up act in history. And John is preaching, and what should we do then? The crowd asked him. And John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. So there's something here about generosity. 
Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to, he told them. So no corruption, no unfairness. And some soldiers asked him, and what should we do? He replied, don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And so here's our first angle in on simplicity. There's an element in it called contentment. Okay, so that's, that's part of this thing called simplicity. It, it starts with contentment. And this is Paul writing after Jesus has lived and ascended, and Paul is writing to the early churches. And Paul says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content. See, that same thing, that same message, contentment, in each and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And then he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Now that last verse, verse 13 there, is often taken out of context. People use, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Let's put it back into context and what's Paul saying? It's not about his great miracles. It's not about his great preaching. It's about contentment because that real underlying contentment without which we will not be able to live simple lives is a gift of the Holy Spirit I can do this through him Jesus who gives me strength through his Holy Spirit it's absolutely foundational if we are to live simple lives those lives need to be content otherwise we'll continue running off in the wrong directions and that contentment comes from the Holy Spirit. And then Jesus himself says, so do not worry. Because part of discontent is, is worrying about everything. Don't worry about saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear. For the pagans run after. What a, what a, what a vibrant phrase that is. They run after all these things. They run. Whenever I read that, I think of that um, little clip that's shown so often these days from last November. You remember the first Black Friday we had here in, in uh, the UK when people were fighting each other to get big screen TVs from their local Asda store? The pagans run after all these things with great energy. And here's the next thing about simplicity. Your heavenly Father knows you need them. So Christian simplicity is bathed in a relationship with God the Father. Many years ago, back in the late 1980s, Jennifer and I and our two young daughters at the time uh, we left behind a well-played job for me to go to Bible college. And as we prayed and wrestled with that, and how were we really prepared to commit our lives fully to following God, that message kept coming back, yes, Lord, we will do it, in the knowledge that you are the Father who knows everything that we need. And so coming out of this is a, a, the, the pagan run after, we seek first. We seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be added as well. So it's not just the passive of contentment, this simplicity now has a very active element, which is seeking first God's kingdom. It starts to talk about purpose in our lives. 
And then we come to the passage that Tim just read to us. And right at the end of that, just, just sort of summarizing the last of those seeds, the seeds, some fell on stony ground, some fell amongst the, on the path, but this last one, the, the, the second to last one that fell amongst the weeds, where the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desire for other things came in and choked the word, making it unfruitful. You know, the number of times I've uh, read that passage over the years in both Matthew and Mark's gospel, I remember when I was at university and John Stott came and preached to the university and many of my friends who, who weren't Christians went and came back, well, become Christians, da, 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 very big, and within a fortnight it had all gone. And it's just Jesus' words about the word by the side of the path or the word amongst the stones came, came to life. But now we see over time, over time, even for those of us who are following him, we can easily get distracted by the worries of this life, the deceitfulness, the deceitfulness of wealth, and the desires for other things come in and choke the words, making it unfruitful. Hands up everybody who'd like to be unfruitful. Good. Okay, so we're, we're, we're on the same page there then. So we want to live lives that are not clogged and choked and strangled by worry, deceitfulness of wealth, the desire for other things, a, a simple life. Another element of simple then is setting, or one of the key elements is setting aside things that are harmful to us. The uh, Anglican theologian W.R. Ing said this in his book, Good and Truth. If we feel that any habit or pursuit might be harmless in itself, is keeping us from God and sinking us deeper into the things of the earth, if we find that things that others can do with impunity are for us the occasion for falling, then abstinence is our only course. Abstinence alone can recover us the real value of what should have been for our help but has been an occasion for our falling. And I put in bold, it is necessary that we should steadily resolve to give up anything that comes between ourselves and God. So we're starting to hone in on a definition of simplicity. It's something to do with getting rid of the stuff that gets in the way those of you are familiar with the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews 12, casting off the sin that so easily entangles. But it's not just getting rid of stuff. Following Jesus is not asceticism. It's not some sort of Eastern religion of casting away all the things of the world. It's got far more purpose than that. In fact, Jesus speaks when he casts out a demon in one story and talks about if, that's, if that is not filled by the Holy Spirit then seven demons come back and fill the place. In physics, we have a saying, nature abhors a vacuum. What applies in physics also applies in the spiritual realm. Nature abhors a vacuum. We don't just get rid of stuff. We fill our lives with something. And here to me is probably the best definition I've come across of simplicity. And it's written by Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard and Richard Foster are the two founders of the Renovare movement. And I think we've got, is it Joe Davis coming in a few weeks in this series, who's part of Renovare to talk in this series. And Dallas Willard's book, 
The Divine Conspiracy or Richard Foster's Celebration of Discipline, I would recommend to every Christian to read, both foundational books about what it is to be a Christian disciple. Dallas Willard describes simplicity in this way. The arrangement of life around a few consistent purposes, explicitly excluding what is not necessary to human well-being. And he is at pains to stress elsewhere in this book, simplicity is not necessarily the opposite of complexity. We might live very complex lives. We might have very, very high-powered, complex jobs. We might be balancing all sorts of family needs and situations. But if there is a singularity of purpose in our hearts and a freedom from the distraction, we can live simply. We can live with purpose. We can live lives empowered by the Holy Spirit. And a little closer to home, I may have made a little bit of fun of Steve earlier, but actually this is in in the foreword to his book, Being Human. It's Steve's most recent book. Your life is precious, a precious gift. It is sacred, every moment of it. The opportunity to live rather than sleepwalk through our days belongs to us. So again, he's talking about a life in which we jettison the stuff that gets in the way and we live lives of clarity. We live lives of purpose. Those of you who were with us on the away day, remember he applied this to our life together as a community. That our Christology, what we think, believe about Jesus, is the why. Our, uh, a, 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 our ecclesiology is, is the how of church and our missiology is the what of what we do. But we don't sleepwalk through our lives. We have clarity of purpose in our individual lives and in our corporate lives together. So having this defined simplicity, I think there are three areas of w- in which this simplicity is, is, is important. And the first I've already alluded to, it's in the spiritual benefits of, of simplicity. If we can get rid of the stuff, we can live in closer commune with God. That still small voice that is instructing us, that is guiding us, becomes louder and clearer when we haven't got the distraction of hydraulic drills going on elsewhere so we can listen to the still small voice. When our lives have a clear purpose. I love that there's a bit in Mark's gospel where Jesus has done loads of miracles in the town. The disciples are really excited. They get up the next morning. They've had their three Weetabix. They're ready to go. And they go off and find Jesus because they can't find him anywhere. And he's somewhere alone in a place praying and they say, come, let's, 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 let's go back to this town and do more. Let's put up a big sign. And he says, no, I was called to move from town to town to do. Jesus had absolute clarity of what his calling and his vocation was by spending time alone with his father. And if he needed to do that, the son of God, how much more do we need to do that? So that simplicity and clarity of purpose has spiritual benefits. It's also really important in building community. And of course, building community is at the heart of who we are at Oasis. And what I mean by that is that when we, I said earlier, when we had the assessment to become an eco-congregation, we were sitting around at the community lunch talking to Nathan 
about different initiatives. And there's, there's one in which we're building on the debt advice and the credit union and the, and the food bank and starting to try and teach people about living better lives, eating well, cooking well. And if we don't live simply, if we have more stuff in our life than the people in the wider community that we are serving, then we put a barrier between us and them. How can we live in community when there is such an extravagant difference between the way we operate, the way we live our lives, and the rest? Otherwise, they just become our clients. They don't become our community. And then the the, the third element is the global impact, talking then about sustainability. Let me give you an example. Here's, Here's something that I think actually captures all three very, very well. These little fellas, wonderful, aren't they? They they, they do lots of really, really great things. But you know, if we... If we allow them to take over our lives, then our spiritual life just withers. Was it choked? The word is choked and becomes unfruitful. If we're having a little glimpse at these during the singing and on Sunday morning or during the sermon on a Sunday morning... Or if we're doing a a daily Bible reading and we've got one eye on just waiting for that little red thing to start flicking to see if a message has come. Then our spiritual life is destroyed. And what about community? You sit on a a train and everyone's on their own or sit around the house on the settee, look around, everybody's on their own little thing. Where's community? Actually, the saddest sight, and I don't mean to, to... to, 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 uh, to, to, to criticize young mums, but the saddest sight is the toddler walking along, the child in the buggy, and the mum pushing the buggy because she can't get off her mobile phone for two minutes and chat to these two little people who need to know that they're the center of her universe. I'm not criticizing that particular, but it's just symptomatic of all of us being in hock to these things. We need to make them our slaves and not our masters. So they destroy, can destroy our spiritual life. They can destroy community, no matter how much communication we do on them. But what about their global impact? The average ownership of one of these things is 18 months. And the most beautiful phrase in the English language these days, you're entitled to an upgrade. <sighs> oh, I get a new one of these to play with. Don't be a fashion victim. Hold on to them. Make them last a little bit longer. You know that 70% of toxic materials in landfill in the world, 70% of the heavy metals comes from electronic instrumentation. These things, computers, tablets. We passed a milestone last year, October last year, the Independent reported, October 2014. There are now officially more of these and these in the world than there are of us. They hit 7.2 billion, and they're multiplying five times faster than we are. So a great gift, a great gift from God, but we must learn to simplify our lives so that they don't strangle our spirituality, they don't destroy our community, and they don't destroy our planet. There's another area, perhaps not quite so dramatic. Aluminium cans, drinking cans. We have done very well in recycling. You see on the green there, since 1950, when there was no recycling of aluminium, 
we now recycle 15 million uh, tons a year. Great. Unfortunately, our use has gone up so much more. And actually, it just shows that recycling is great, but it can't keep up if we continue to consume more and more and more. And aluminium is really easy. The reason it's really easy is there's no question recycling is good. Because you ask yourself about plastic and glass and others is the more energy used. There's only 5% of the energy used to recycle than to extract aluminium in the first place. So it's obviously good. It's valuable. So people recycle. And it can be used many, over many, many, many times with no deterioration. But if we continue to consume and consume and consume, recycling is really a sticking plaster. Recycling is good, but we've got to simplify our consumption. Next one, Angie. And then we come on to these bad boys. I'm not sure there's anything I can say good about them whatsoever. Plastic bottles. But even more, you know, ironically, plastic water bottles. What are you doing with plastic water bottles in the West? Unless, of course, you live in Lancashire at the moment, you have to boil your water. But in general, it's safe. It's good to drink. In the USA alone, 1,500 plastic water bottles are consumed every second. Many of you may have campaigned to get the Church of England and others not to uh, invest in companies which make fossil fuels. Very good, very virtuous. And we can maybe replace fossil fuels in our transport and in our power consumption. But what about our materials, especially these materials? How much oil has to be extracted to make this bottle? That much. The orange juice that's in there. About 25% of the volume of that bottle needs to be extracted in oil to make that one bottle. And that's without transportation. That's simply the raw materials and the energy used in creating the plastic bottle. I think that one thing I would say about aluminium cans and these in particular is simplicity comes with a cost. It's not necessarily convenience. And of course, because it's less obvious about the recycle rates for these things are about half what they are for aluminium cans. They're harmful to wildlife, they're harmful to the environment, they take centuries to degrade. And in fact, experts in water management have calculated how much plastic in terms of bottles and other products is entering the oceans every year. And if you were to draw a line around the coastline of the whole world, all of the coastline of the world, for every foot of coastline, we are putting in one, two, three, four, five plastic bags chocked full of plastic produce per foot of coastline into the oceans. We have got to be better with plastic. And finally, one more, just to make you feel good on a nice Sunday morning, travel. Oh, I was looking up something to say about travel, and I came across a survey that the University of Surrey did about five or six years ago for the Department of the Environment. 
And it was trying to think of how we can get people to think more environmentally when they travel and when they're on their holidays. And they found that, um, well, I say, if it wasn't so serious, you would laugh. I nearly cried at my desk as I read this. Participants in the survey did not think about the environment when making leisure and tourism choices. First of all, leisure and tourism were not seen as environmental behaviors. These behaviors were mainly concerned with fulfilling the participants' own needs and their families' needs. Secondly, the environmental impact of leisure and tourism were generally not well understood. Participants focused on the tangible impacts, such as litter or, or visible pollution. They also mentioned several misconceptions. For example, small everyday actions to help the environment, such as reusing carrier bags, have a greater impact than making changes to our travel. Holiday activities have a greater impact Holiday, what the activities we do on holiday have a greater impact than the travel getting there. Long-haul flights are only marginally worse than short-haul flights. All misconceptions. Thirdly, some participants were not concerned about the impacts, particularly the less tangible ones, you know, things like, oh, I know, global warming, stuff like that. Fourthly, some participants saw no point in changing their leisure or tourism behavior unless other people in other countries reduced their environmental impacts too. Fifthly, participants objected to making changes for the sake of the environment, feeling that it impinged on their right to do whatever they wanted with their leisure or tourism. This entitlement to holidays and a lesser extent day trips was very strongly expressed and was left to justify lack of attention to environmental impacts. It was something peculiar that only the serious greenies, the environmentalists, would do. It would simply make their day trip or holiday less enjoyable. Participants were more willing to change their everyday behavior than leisure or tourism behavior. They believed changing everyday behaviors was more effective for addressing environmental issues and was a smaller sacrifice. Guys, we follow uh, somebody who never traveled more than 50 miles outside his hometown, never went in a plane or a car, never visited the Grand Canyon, unless you're a Mormon, you probably think he did. Um, but was the most effective human being in the history of the world, saved the world. We are his followers. We believe in an eternal perspective. We believe that we will be with him forever. We don't need to have a bucket list of the things that we want to do. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added. There will be plenty of opportunities, but we mustn't be like the pagans running after all of these things because our Father in heaven knows what we need. Let's, let's just take a moment. I know it's been a little bit heavy this morning, but for each of us, the stuff that we need to get out of the way will be slightly different. And the purpose and the clarity of what it is we're here for will be slightly different. But just take a few moments to reflect and as you do, Flick and the, the, the musicians are going to come up because we're going to sing a couple of songs. So just think about what this means for you. What does simplicity and clarity of purpose look like in your life?